Welcome into another episode of Patrick Jones Baseball, where we find the best tools to build the best players. On this episode, we have Mike Rooney. Mike is currently a ESPN college baseball analyst and also works for D1 Baseball. He's a former college coach, co- coaching at Phoenix College and Arizona State University. In this episode, we talk about the college game, you know, what he loves about broadcasting college baseball and being an analyst. Um, some of the players that he coached when he was at Arizona State, including Dustin Pedrora. And if he could call a game with anyone in the world, who would it be and why? So uh, enjoy talking to Mike. I think it's it's awesome that we have so many people out there who are passionate about college baseball and, and wanting it to do better and, and pushing for it to do better too. And Mike is definitely doing that on a, on a day-to-day basis. And you know, hopefully... Uh, Someone out there listening will take note of some of the ideas he has on, on how to make the system even better. So if you haven't, please make sure to go subscribe, rate, and leave a review on iTunes for the podcast. That would be greatly appreciated and would help more listeners and more people find out about all the awesome guests we've been able to have on the show. So hope everyone has a good week. And here is my episode with Mike Rooney. All right, we now welcome on Mike Rooney. Mike, appreciate you coming on the show. Yeah, this is awesome. Appreciate it. Yeah, let's talk some ball. Let's go. Let's let's do it. I'm I'm excited because I'm always excited to talk to a, a coach, but I'm even more excited because not only have you coached, but you've been in the booth broadcasting too. And uh, I'm I'm curious. The first thing that comes to my mind is what was the biggest challenge when you started broadcasting? Like, what was the one thing when you were like, "Well, I was not expecting." this to happen yeah well i'd say i'll there's two answers to your question the first answer is the biggest challenge of broadcasting is getting the dang job in the first place <laughs> because and i learned that very quickly that you know there's a lot of people that want to um talk about baseball and then get a check afterwards like that's that's not there's not there there's you know, the ESPNs of the world are not in short supply of people that would want to do that. I mean, heck, we all sit on our couches and do it right, right. for free. So that part is and especially for someone like me who um, not to be self-deprecating, but really to just be realistic is, you know, I'm not a former big leaguer. I, I wasn't even a division one head coach. So, um, you know, so I, I don't have the prototypical resume. So that's the hardest part from that standpoint. You know, I would say the the thing that's the most interesting when you start doing it is trying to have a conversation with your play-by-play guy while there are other people talking in your ear that is really interesting you know like you might have the producer commenting on things in your ear or you might have the director commenting on things in your ear so that can be challenging you know the first couple of times at least i did it i think this happens to everybody is I'm I'm making a comment that I think I'm basically saying to the play-by-play person, and then the producer says something in my ear, and I stop talking because, and he didn't want me to stop talking. <laughs> you know, that's the way it goes. Is you're supposed to just stay conversational, but you know, and and so I think that's the progression in that business that you're always going through. Is you're, you know, there there are people that are really talented that are trying to match the pictures for with your thoughts and your words. And so what you, in the beginning, what you do is you just blab, you know, you just talk and then hope that they can 
chase you around and keep up with you. And then you learn to communicate with them ahead of time so that they can have the pictures ready when you're going to share a thought. So yeah, that part's kind of fascinating. So what, what are they saying to, uh, to your headset? Yeah, they might be saying, hey, we're, we're, um, you know, we're going here. Like, hey, we're going to, you know, they, they might be going um, to another picture. Like I'm talking about the picture, but they want to they introduce the hitter. You know, mm-hmm. they might be doing that. Or it might be, you know, really good producers are almost like fans where they're just talking to you while you're talking because they're so it's almost like you're getting them because remember when you're broadcasting, there's no feedback. I mean, you're, you know, like the, you know, my dad's watching in Newtown Square, Pennsylvania, but he can't. I mean, well, I guess in theory, he could text me during the game. But, you know, and so the producer kind of giving you instant feedback, like I might say, you know, hey, I really love that first and third bunt defense. And the producer will say, why? Like in my ear. And I'm like, okay, great point. Like I should explain why I like mm. that. Or, you know, so so those are some of the things that they're saying in in your ear. Um, or, or they might say like one of the big things in broadcasting is when, when, a so for instance, I got to do the Louisville, Santa Barbara to 2016 super regional. And if you recall that Santa Barbara was down three, nothing in the ninth inning of game two, they had won game one. They out of nowhere, they remember, this is a Louisville team that had hit that had seven players taken in the first 15, 115 picks. Seven players in the first 115 picks. So this would be an upset of epic proportions. So Sam Cohen hits a walk-off Grand Slam to go to Omaha. I mean, think about that. At Louisville. And so the producers in our ear saying, lay out, lay out, lay out. Which means, hey, like this is not a time for you guys to talk. This is a a once-in-a-lifetime moment. And let the pictures and the reactions tell the story. So those are some of the things that um, that they'll say too. That's interesting stuff. I never, I never knew that anybody was talking, talking to you while you were talking. That's got to be a challenge to, uh, to get over at first. Are there certain people when you first started out, especially that you would study or look up to in in the broadcasting booth? Yeah, I would say, um, you know, I would say on the first word study, like, you know, like I, I just, the, the play by play guys that you get to work with, at least for me in college baseball, these guys are so dang good, right? Like your Tom Hartz, your Clay Matvicks, your Mike Morgans, your Dave Neal. I mean, I could go on and on. When I do studio stuff, Matt Schick, Chris Budden, Kelsey Riggs. I mean, these people are so talented, Patrick, that like you're always studying them. And they're really helpful as far as like, hey, like you're good at this. Here's an area where you can get better. Um, and they, they do it in a really respectful way. I'd say like people I looked up to, I've always been drawn to because, you know, I'm not a play by play guy. I'm an analyst. I've always been drawn to the analysts that are former coaches like me and, and the guys that seem to have fun. So like Dick Vitale is a little over the top. You know, like my personality is not that expressive, but like this guy loves college basketball and I love college baseball. So he's a good kind of model for me. Like John Madden, I would put in that category. Al McGuire was a guy I loved listening to when we were kids. You know, you know, I, you know, it was one of my favorite guys. Rick Majerus always cracked me up when he uh-huh. was in college basketball because he would not, um, apparently he would not do a lot of prep. So he would call the players by their number. But <laughs> so, which was hilarious, but 
you know, what was awesome was like, man, you talk about like an X's and O's savant. So I always felt like when I was watching Rick Majerus, it was really entertaining, but I was getting smarter at the same time. I'd say the more I've coached, the more I've really paid attention to play-by-play guys and, and really listening. I, I like, uh, I know Chris Welsh for the Reds. He's been doing the play-by-play for a long time. He does a really good job. Uh, and then, of course, growing up, you know, it was Marty Brenneman, Cincinnati, which yeah. was, oh, man, he was so good just to listen to on the radio. As, as a kid, did you did you have somebody? Did you, were you, so, were you yeah. big into listening to baseball? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, I think baseball is such a great radio sport, right? Like it's just, it's the perfect sport for radio. So now that he wasn't the radio guy, but uh, I grew up in suburban Philly. So we had Harry Callis, right? Mm -hmm. So just an icon and um, yeah, like, like, like Johnny Miller, like I could listen to him on the radio all day long. I love Tom Hamilton for the Indians because it's kind of like a little bit of a Homer, you know, like that intensity. But um, yeah, I'm telling you, Patrick, I, I never really, I never thought about it, but I never realized for sure how talented the play-by-play guys are. I mean, they are like conductors of an orchestra and just, I've gotten to do some play-by-play work and it, I, I just found it to be really stressful. And these guys are like, they're, they're, they're poets, you know, like they just, man, I, I you know, it, it's, they're, it's incredible all the traffic they're directing and to be able to speak like they do, but also be able to pay attention to what's going on around them. It's really remarkable. What's the prep like for doing something like that? Yeah. So I would say for me personally, and again, I only do college baseball. So yeah. I think, you know, that, that has, and, and, and I think the important contextual point for me is, Hey, college baseball is what I love, right? Like this is, even if I wasn't broadcasting every day, when I wake up, first thing I'm doing is checking my college baseball Twitter list. Like, you know, hey, what did Kendall Rogers just tweet? What did Aaron Fitt just tweet? Like, you know, I'm a junkie for college baseball. So for me, part of the prep is just very, you know, this is my hobby. This is what I love. And so, you know, I'm naturally inclined to be prepared. You know, when you get closer to a game, um, when you get your schedule, they always make the head coaches available to us, uh, you know, within a week of the game. So getting to talk to the coaches and getting current on, you know, who's hot, who's not, what's going on with their team is really helpful. Um, one thing I like to do is, you know, I'll read anything I can get my hands on. Like, do you, you know, I work for D1 Baseball part-time, you know, and so I, you know, clearly you need to take my bias for what it is, but I, you know, like, I feel like our website's got great information to get ready for a team. It's very easy to search by team. I, you know, sometimes I like to check for local articles. Another thing I like to do that's interesting in this age of ESPN Plus and ESPN Three is I like to if I can DVR a game. Like let's say I've got a Florida Gator game coming up, I just like to watch the lineup one time through. You know, to watch the entire game would be too much, and you just would run out of time. But I just like, I'd like to eyeball the, the lineup one time through, you know, I'd like to see the pitcher go one or two half innings and, and, you know, cause I want to get a feel for him, but I don't want to be so prejudiced that when I see the game live, I've already made all my decisions, you know, okay. like I, I, I want it. I want, I want the, the new opportunity too. So those are a couple of things that, that work for me. Like uh, Tony Romo calling out the play before it even happens. Yes. <laughs> and that's, that's one of the fun things about broadcasting is that, you can and and you know what's funny? Tony Romo is you speaking of savants. I mean, he's got a gift for that. But it, you know, quite honestly, ESPN they've always encouraged us that hey, like if you know, the viewer doesn't need me to tell them what they just saw with their own eyes. 
what they need is some context around it, maybe. And then, hey, what happens next? Or like what? That's one of my favorite things to do in broadcasting is say, hey, like I'd be thinking about a safety squeeze right here. And here's why. And hey, the the coach either does it or doesn't. And that's the one fun thing about broadcasting. If people are calling me a, a dumb, you know what? Uh, I can't hear him saying that. So it's, <laughs> it's, uh, it's the, yeah, that's where the lack of feedback really comes in handy. I, I, I do follow online, especially when people are watching games. I would say this is more so I hear it or read about it in the professional ranks of, of you know, A-Rod or whoever it may be uh, commenting play by play. But it seems that there's more and more people who want more of the analytics, more of some of the up-to-date you know, whether it be talking about spin rate or, or talk about, you know, horizontal break on a fastball, whatever it is. Uh, have you, has anyone asked you to be more in depth with it or is it still because it's the college game? They, they just want just kind of how you've always done it. Yeah, I would say they ESPN has tried to make more resources available to us for that. Um, and so I've tried to, I, I am intrigued by that stuff. But I think you have to be really careful because that stuff can quickly become a snooze fest on a broadcast. Mm. You know, like you, you've got to really clean it up for the viewer. And, you know, like, cause remember the viewers are coming to us with all different levels of knowledge of this stuff. So, so, but I'll give you a, for instance, like I had, um, and, 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 you know, truth be told, I need to get a lot smarter about some of these things. Like I, I'm kind of, I, th- I would consider myself a centrist. Like, I, I feel like the teams in, in Major League Baseball, and you would be a much better expert at this than me, Patrick, but the teams that have been much better at this, the best at analytics are the ones that they understand the human element of it. You know, like, ultimately, it's like, it, it's, analytics is no different than any other coaching that's been done over the last 200 years in that doesn't matter what you know or believe, it matters how bought in your players are to what you know and believe. So great knowledge with no buy-in is no good, but just like, great buy-in with no knowledge that's not great either right so you know the middle part so 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 anyways i had steven hadger of michigan this year in a game and he's you know lefty six three you know the the his induced vertical break they say is big league level so you know for me i can easily trip myself up up on the phrase induced vertical break so how am i going to explain that to a viewer. And, you know, I just tried to paint the picture for them that, you know, Hey, a hitter's eyes tells them that this fastball is going to start to have a downward plane because that's what gravity does to fastballs. And his ball does not have that break. It stays on plane. You know, it's it. it, And so the hitters have a really difficult time working above the baseball. So, you know, and I don't think that's perfect either the way I'm saying it, but I think that's where you can get into challenges is, um, you know, you really have to create context for things quickly. And sometimes you run out of time when it comes to television. Yeah, that's a, a solid point. I do often probably uh, don't put that into context that not everyone that I'd, I'd read on on hitting Twitter or on Twitter in general are, are the same people who are watching the, the broadcasting. I'm sure thousands and thousands of people. So that's that's definitely a good point. Um, have you ever thought about going going to the pro route and and I mean, that would be, I'm sure, more time, of course, but it'd be, I'm sure, more of a full-time thing, too. Yeah, I would say I, I've never really thought about it. I've only no. ever gotten to do, I, I've gotten to do um, the Arizona Fall League championship game once with Mike Farron, which was super fun. I got to do um, a spring training game once. Um, 
for for the big leagues. But you know, the, the truth is, I didn't, I didn't even play any pro ball. Um, college baseball is my niche. It's what I love. I mean, I I, I am. You know, of course, the the big leagues is the big leagues, right? There's no um, there's no um, substituting for that. But at the same time, I I love what I'm doing in college baseball. I've you know, college baseball is the highest level I got to play. You know, I've got a lot of relationships from coaching college baseball. It's just something I'm really passionate about. So I think the truth is, I I feel very fulfilled doing what I'm doing, and. I think if I was my own agent, which I guess I am, I would tell myself to just keep doing what you're doing. I think I'm probably in a really good place for me. If you could pick one person to be side by side with you in the play by play booth, who would it be? Okay. So, so if I, if I was doing one more game and I I got to pick my play by play guy. So, so someone that I've worked with, you're saying, no, just anybody, I could be your dream person, like whoever. Ah, interesting. I mean, the obvious choice would be like Vin Scully, but he doesn't have partners. <laughs> he does it by himself. So I think I'd be, I'd probably get kicked out of that booth. Um, that's a great question. Who, who is, who do I think is just fantastic? Um, I mean, I, you know, because he was my, he was our guy growing up. I think doing a game with Harry Callis would be like amazing. Yeah. Um, you know, like, I don't know, like all the big league guys, like doing a game with Bob Euchre, that would be amazing. Oh, be, yeah. You know, yeah. All these guys, you, you know, who's got a voice that because he's done some college baseball, but he's more of, he's kind of retiring now, but Gary Thorne is always mm. a voice that just really grabs me. Uh, so, oh my gosh, all those guys, Johnny Miller. I mean, they're, they're, it's amazing. Those guys are just living legends. Yeah, I, 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 you alluded to it earlier, but I don't think people realize how hard it is until you actually try to do it yourself. Like, even if you try to do it when nobody's around, you're just in your living room and try to go play by play and record it. It's you're going to be like, whoa, I was not as good as I thought I was. Like, it's difficult. It's really hard. Yeah. And then, you you know, so uh, when I used to work for a perfect game, they have a perfect game, all American classic, which is this awesome event at Pelco Park, top 50 high school players in the country the summer before their senior year. I mean, you know, half the kids are going to be first round draft picks. The talent is insane. So I had gotten to do play by play for that on uh, MLB network radio for probably four or five years. And, you know, I would always be panicked out of my mind getting ready for it. Cause how are you going to fill all that airspace? And, you know, what what you realize very quickly is, man, you say the same words over and over <laughs> and over again, and you just get you get so sick of your own voice and phrases. So you're right; these, these guys are just absolute. And and you know, then you then you tee up your partner, and you're so panicked about what you're going to say next. They say something, you just totally whiff on it. And so you're right; those guys are absolute artists. I'm sure you would have, you might, you probably had some advantage though, because you were a coach beforehand. So, I mean, you were, you, you know, you had talked through situations with players and talked to players and in front of people before. So I'm sure that had to help the transition. I think so. Yeah. Like I, I, you know, I was a very average player. And so, you know, I have always skewed more towards the coaching side of things, but my favorite broadcasters have always been coaches, even when I was a younger person and still hadn't even coached. So I just, I love learning. And I think, you know, this is going to sound hypercritical of former players who are broadcasters. I'm painting with a very broad brush and and this, for many of them, they're excellent at it. But, you know, I, I think the, when I played dot, dot, dot gets, it can get pretty stale pretty quickly. Um, I think some guys are amazing at it. Like I'm thinking about, um, you know, Ben McDonald, I think is 
you know, he's he's really a skilled broadcaster. It's very easy to put Ben McDonald in that that group, but he's a good broadcaster. I've heard him do radio. He does play by play for the Orioles on radio for you know a couple innings a game. And man, Ben is awesome. Hey, I'll tell you, Todd Walker. I could listen to Todd Walker talk about hitting and facing pitchers all day long. I, I just I love the way he thinks about hitting. And and you know, again, that could be thrown in the when I played bucket. But I think when guys are good at that, but I think sometimes it gets stale. So I love, yeah, I, I think you're right, Patrick, like coaching, um, you know, you're, you're taught in coaching, you have to, to survive is you have to think ahead. You know, you have to be thinking, you know, three pitches ahead, three outs ahead, two innings ahead. And, and I like, that's my favorite part of broadcasting is I like coaching the game I'm broadcasting. I like, you know, and, and I don't, I try not to do it. I, I think when it's done best is I might say, Hey, Tim Corbin bunted here. And I think what he was thinking was this. Now I disagree because I'm thinking X, but I never want to, I, I think, I don't know. I'm just not one of those shock jocks or hot takers, you know, like Tim Corbin's a really smart person. And um, so I like to try and guess what he was thinking, but, but it's, I think it's always appropriate to, to present a counter proposal too. Has you, have you ever said anything and your producers or whoever, when the broadcast was over, were like, Hey, we're getting some um, bad, bad feedback about X, Y, and Z. Like you need to stop doing it. That's a good question. I've never, I've never, I'm knocking on wood right now. I've never had something like where, you know, I, I've misspoken and, and like to the point of, Oh my gosh, like we got a big problem, but I would say you're always worried about it. Right. Mm-hmm. Like it's, I, I I always think about my dad teaching us as kids, like, Hey, if you open your mouth enough, you'll say something dumb. And, <laughs> and so like that kind of haunts me a little bit. So, um, but I, I haven't had like a, a monster gaffe. I mean, I, I'm sure it's coming. I hope it's just harmless enough. I will tell you, Patrick, that I did say something purposefully that did not get a great reaction. I was doing studio for the 2012 uh, college world series. We were in Charlotte. And they have those boards where you kind of pick, okay, who's got better pitching, who's got better hitting, who's got better team defense. And it was South Carolina was playing Arizona. And if you recall, South Carolina had won two national titles in a row. This was 2012. They were going for their third straight national title. And, you know, we know how passionate SEC fans are, and we know how passionate South Carolina baseball fans are, especially after having won the previous two. And so the producers said, okay, tell us who you want to pick and we'll go by category. And I said, Hey, I want to pick Arizona. Like I I just have a gut feel on Arizona. And, um, they're like, are you sure you want to pick Arizona? Like, are you really sure? And, and so, um, I did it and it turned out to be right. And believe me, I've had a million predictions go the wrong way, but, um, you can imagine Patrick, the South Carolina fan base, when I picked against the Gamecocks in that show, my, that was the best day my Twitter account has ever had. And now it was good from a volume perspective. It was not, I was called some names that we cannot repeat on this podcast. Mm. Yeah, it was, that was, that was fun. I, I just can never, I, I could never uh, figure out why people get so been out of shape about people like predicting, making predictions or on TV saying, I mean, it's like they're, they take it so personal. Oh yeah, it is. It is. Um, it's so funny. Although you're still coaching. So you, you know, like you've got, I, th- I, one thing I did realize when I left coaching is man, like the fan in you reemerges like when, like, so for instance, I'm a huge Notre Dame football fan, 
But the six years that I was coaching baseball at Arizona State, I, I really just wasn't into Notre Dame football. You know, we were doing recruiting weekends. It was hard to watch the games. You're so focused on your own team. It kind of beats the fan out of you. But then I quit coaching and then that fan in me came came roaring back. And so, um, you know, like I'm, I'm on a couple of threads where it's like, you know, Doug Flutie is, you know, who's amazing. He's doing the Notre Dame football games. And, you know, I, I catch myself with my buddy saying, oh, stinking Doug Flutie, Boston College. Of course, he hates Notre Dame. And you're like, oh, my gosh, what has happened to me? I've completely lost it. Oh, speaking of Notre Dame, I, I live in Cincinnati and I, I see they're playing Cincinnati this Saturday. Big game. Yeah. Big game. Yeah. 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 So actually, I was listening to one of your another podcast you were on right before this and you talked a little bit about Jerry Faust. Jerry Faust used Muller to coach high. at my high school. No way. You're a Muller High guy too. Muller that's high. Awesome. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Sorry about that. Everything that happened with him going to Notre Dame. Uh, you know what's <laughs> funny though? He was the most wonderful man. And and you know what a powerhouse Muller was, you know, historically. And so, you know, I'm sure Notre Dame was, I mean, that would never happen in 2021, but I'm sure Notre Dame was thinking, man, if if we just get the best players from Ohio every year because of Jerry Faust, we're golden, right? Like we're, yeah. it's going to be just fine. So he was, he was such a good guy. Like he loved Notre Dame and that really impacted me as a kid in a positive way. But, you know, I heard, I'm sure you heard on the podcast that we still tease my dad to this day, that that was how we learned profanity was watching Notre Dame games with him during the Jerry Faust era. Jerry Faust era. <laughs> what, what do you, what do you miss the most about coaching? I mean, you coached for a long time. Yeah. I would say, um, you know, the first thing you miss is the relationships. Like there's nothing like going to the field or being on a road trip. I I really miss road trips. Like, you know, Thursday night, you're going to the airport. Everyone's just cutting each other up. Like just that back and forth you get with players is, um, is just irreplaceable. And, you know, the thing that, that, that bums me out a little bit is like when you're a coach, I feel like the players keep you young. And I do, I, you know, for my wife and I, I worry about that. Like when we were around the players all the time, uh, you just, you, it's so vibrant. And now it's like, we don't have that. Even the players I broadcast, you're not getting close to those guys. Like you get to know them a little bit, but not like coaching. I, you know, I, I miss being in the office and just talking ball all day, you know, like that, that is, um, you know, I miss, I coached in Alaska one summer and, you know, it was that you know, it wouldn't get dark until like three in the morning. I miss just being out on a, a back deck with the other coaches, just talking about the team and the games and talking baseball in general till three in the morning, you know, it was just, yeah. So, so that's, I think those are the things that, that you miss, you know, Hey, there's no, that rush that you get when, when things are going well, when you're winning, you know, when you, you feel like you've helped a kid kind of break through a, a threshold and get to the next level. So that part, you know, just, you never, I, I will always miss that stuff. That, that, that's the good stuff. Well, you have a, a good perspective on college baseball in general. A, you're doing what you do now for ESPN, but you coached at Arizona state, but you also coached at university of Phoenix, which is a junior college, if I'm not mistaken. So, I mean, you're able to recruit and see different types and levels of players. I mean, that's that has to give you a, a really good perspective on the, the talent level in college. But also, where I'm getting at is, was there any players who at the University of Phoenix were like, man, this guy, he actually could have probably played at Arizona State? 
Yeah. So, okay. So I'm going to correct you, Patrick. So I have a master's degree from university of Phoenix. I okay. coached at Phoenix college. Different so Phoenix. Phoenix college, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So okay. university of Phoenix is the online um, university. And then um, Phoenix college is the junior college right in the middle of Phoenix. So, yeah, but I would say, I would say to your point, Patrick, I'm really proud of the fact that I got to coach at all those different levels. So, you know, I was a high school coach, I was a junior college coach and we weren't even like a primetime junior college. We were a division two junior college. Um, you know, obviously getting to coach at Arizona state was insanely awesome. You know, it was a lot of pressure. Um, it was pretty crazy, but I mean, the players we got to coach, you know, the Dustin Bedroyas, the Ian Kinslers, the Andre Ethiers. I mean, I, I've gotten to coach 19 kids that played in the big leagues and, and I, I don't, I, please don't take that as me being braggadocious. I had very little to do with that. The, when Dustin Bedroya showed up at Arizona State, like he, that was a big leaguer that showed up, right? Like there was, it would have been. You know very, that? Did you know that from the first day? I mean, it was, he was so small. Yeah, tiny. He showed up at five seven, one hundred and thirty five pounds. Oh my so gosh! So I would say, and and couldn't run. Like he was, a, he was a below average runner when when he showed up. I would say, Patrick, that with Dustin, he. You know, you're, it was hard for your brain to go there and say, hey, like he's a for sure big leaguer, like this guy's going to win AL MVP. I don't think my brain was ready to go there right away, but I, but, but I would say this you were very well aware that this kid was a freaky, freakishly good player. You know, like, because remember, the, the one thing that was that one of the funny Pedroia stories was, you know, we had to, not every school was in on him, but the schools that were in on him were in big. And so we had to convince back then the biggest scholarship we would give out was probably 78%. And so we had to convince Pat Murphy, who's now the bench coach for the Brewers, who was our head coach. We had to convince Murph that, hey, we need to give Pedroia 78%. And Murph's like, well, okay, tell me about him. He's like, first of all, do you think he can say it shortstop? (laughs) We're not sure. It's like, okay, interesting. Can he run? No. Power? Eh, He's 5'7", 135. I don't think so. And Murph's looking at us like, do I need to drug test you right now? Like, what would what, what, <laughs> this sounds like a walk on who might not make the team? And and so me and Jay Safera, the other assistant, we're trying to figure out how do we how do we get Murph more excited about Pedroia? And basically, the and this was true. Like we just said, Murph, everywhere we go, this kid is the best player on the field. And it's not close. It is not close. And, and it was true. I'm telling you, Patrick, area code games. It doesn't matter. It didn't matter who you brought in. This kid could find another gear. And and that was very apparent um, from day one. He was just his mental game was the best I've ever seen. I mean, just that's what I was going to add on. It just he he seems that he would have been the, the type of guy to just show up and be like, like the dude's ready. Like, I'm like, let's roll. Like, I'll compete with anybody. Yeah. The, the one thing he had to get over when he first got to us was he. um he really struggled. Like he made, he made several errors in our first fall, his freshman year. And, you know, we were always teasing people that, Hey, we'd have to assign a player to follow him home and keep an eye on him. Cause he was just like, he did not handle mistakes made by himself all that well. But I would tell you that his confidence level was so high, you know, like he, he, he looked at failure almost as a fluke once he got past it. And, um, so there, there was that part. His hand-eye coordination was insane. Never seen anything like it. I mean, it, it felt like he swung and missed like less than 10 times in three years. It was just the way he, he caught everything cleanly. So, you know, so he was, he was just outrageously gifted. And then, you know, he just got 
stronger and more athletic and, you know, the success compounded the success. And yeah, I, I don't even remember what your original question was, but his mental game was, uh, you know, off the charts. Good. Did, did he end up getting the 78%? So, yeah. So we gave him the 78% to, to make sure that we locked it in. And then um, his, so Dustin's parents, Guy and Debbie, amazing people. They, they, um, they, they owned tire stores in the Sacramento area, more for commercial vehicles. And they had built a very, very, very successful business. So they were in a position, Dustin's sophomore, junior, they actually gave the scholarship back to us. And as only Dustin could say, when he officially turned the scholarship back into Murphy said, go get some bleep and pitching. And so, uh, <laughs> yeah, so, so Dustin, yeah. So he, I mean, it, it, that's one of the crazy things not to go on a soapbox, but I mean, just think about that. Dustin Bedroya, who made, I don't know, $160 million in the big leagues, AL MVP, his last two years of college, the backup punter at Arizona state's on full scholarship and Dustin's paying his own way. It's crazy. Unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable, man. I mean, yeah, I'm sure. And that's, you said you had what, 18 big leaguers you coach. Yeah. So no, 19 was the total. Yeah. And so, you know, part of it was, you know, I I was my first year as a high school coach, 1995, dumbest luck ever. Our catcher at Malvern prep was Ben Davis. And so he had seven, you know, second, he was the second pick in the draft, seven years in the big leagues. And, um, and so Ben was the first one. And then, you know, I got to coach Bobby Crosby up in Alaska. Um, You know, some of the guys we had, you know, gosh, our 2003 team, you know, Pedroia is playing short. Andre Ethier is playing center field. Travis Buck is playing right field. He was on six straight opening day rosters. Tuffy Ghostwitch was our catcher. Um, you know, he he was up and down in the big leagues. And then um, he's kind of like Crash Davis in a way. And then Jeff Larish was um, was our first baseman, and he got a cup of coffee in the big leagues. So, you know, those are just those are some of the names. Yeah, it was, it, it, incredible. One of, one of the cool things I do like about college baseball and just now having coached professional baseball too is you see the draft, you know, you see the, the, the players, your team drafts, and you you look at some of the schools and they don't, they aren't always the biggest schools. And then you get the players and you start talking to them and, and it's like way more than you would think. Like, yeah, I only had two offers out of high school. Or like I was like a last minute senior sign and, and now they're, you know, sign up, have a big bonus and, you know, a, yeah. a, a top prospect. I think that's, it's so cool. And it's so, I think important for, for kids out there and parents too, that, man, like you just look at the draft year in, year out. And of course there's big, there's big schools in there. Like no question about it, but I mean, the Orioles number five overall pick last year, Colton Kowser, who was, you know, I had him in Del Marva this year. I mean, I think he only had one or two offers out of, out of high school. And he's now he's yeah. the number five overall pick. I mean, it's just, yeah, it's crazy. So cool. Yeah. yeah. I, one of the coolest things Patrick to me is, there's been a couple events that I've gotten to go to where I've gotten to interact with athletic directors. And, and, and of course, now truth be told, we hope to increase the investment in college baseball. Like we want there to be more scholarships. We want there to be more paid coaches that, that, that is a fact. But if you think about it, if you're an athletic director and you want to make your mark, I mean, what are you going to do? Like build a football program? Like if you, if you were trying to build a football program, that would take like a billion dollars with a B right? Like, like how are you even going to get good at football? Um, but baseball is accessible. I mean, think about Coastal Carolina won a national championship in baseball five years ago. You know, you mentioned the players like Chris Bryant went to USD. Max Scherzer went to Missouri before they were in the SEC. 
Paul Goldschmidt went to Texas State. And I, you know, I, what, what I believe is that, uh, you know, maybe more than other sports, part of getting elite in baseball is you got to play and play and play and play. And, you know, I, I coached in Arizona State and, you know, I think about the big time SEC schools and, you know, like those are amazing opportunities. But at the end of the day, if you want to be the best in the world, you got to get somewhere where you're going to get those repetitions. And that, I think that's one of the reasons why we see um, some of these these kids that just come kind of come out of nowhere. It's really cool, I think. What is your take on the fourth um, fourth assistant or third assistant? I should say third assistant because it. Yeah, again, I don't know clearly like hands down as much about college baseball as you do, more than professional. But I see some of these salaries of some of these head coaches. I'm like, man, these guys are making more than big league managers. And I so I mean, yeah. so I'm thinking, so there's definitely some money around. Yeah. Yeah. It's just so dumb. It's like, I hate, I hate just kind of like taking pot shots at the NCA, but I guess I will. Like, this is one of those dumb NCAA things where, Hey, like one of the reasons why these coaches are making, you know, millions of dollars in college baseball or, you know, just around a million dollars is, you know, these are the schools that are starting to generate revenue from college baseball. And so, you know, they're, they're part of it is like, Hey, like they're bringing profit to the table. But I think, you know, when you when you talk about the fourth, there, there's two parts to this, right? Like, why are college baseball coaches making um, more than big league managers? You know, part of it is I think the analytics community underestimates how important a big league manager is. That's just my personal opinion. So I think that compresses the salaries. I think on the college baseball side, okay, so the NCAA's got all these caps. They, they've capped how many coaches you can pay. They've capped how many scholarships you can have. They everything's a cap, right? So if you're a school that wants to invest in college baseball, like in Arkansas, you really only have two choices, pay your head coach and invest in your facility. And look at Arkansas, Dave Van Horn's making a lot of money and they just put $27 million into a player development center. So, you know, I honestly, Patrick, the thing that drives me crazy about the fourth paid coach is that, you know, so we have a volunteer coach. It's the fourth coach, head coach, two paid coaches, volunteer coach, coach number four. If they pass this rule that you could pay these guys, you know, 50 schools would would write them a check tomorrow, right? Like the money is there to your point. Um, it's just a stupid rule. I mean, I, I think of it this way. Could you imagine if Converse could vote on a rule that told Nike how many employees they were allowed to have? I mean, think about how ridiculous that would be. And that's what we have in college sports. So, you know, I, I but I'll tell you, here's the bigger, here's almost the bigger shame for the volunteer coaches, Patrick, is they can't have benefits. I was the volunteer at Arizona State for 18 months. I mean, you, you start to get mental every time you get in a car. What if there's an accident? I got no insurance. I'm, you know, my parents are going to have to have a beef and beer for my car accident, you know, expenditures. Um, here's the other thing. You're a volunteer assistant coach. You want to network and you want to kind of build your name and, and you know be eligible for a job, but you can't go out and recruit. I would say that's almost more problematic than the schools not being able to pay you because these guys are getting paid through camps and they're figuring it out, but it's still ridiculous. But if I can't recruit, number one, I can't network. Number two, Every coach, every head coach, when they hire somebody, the first thing that's top of mind for them is, hey, how is Patrick Jones going to affect our recruiting? Is he going to make it better, worse, or stay the same? And if I'm a volunteer and I haven't been out recruiting since I've been this volunteer coach, I mean, I, I got nothing for that head coach that wants to hire me. So we're just we're absolutely stagnating these guys' careers 
Um, it's so dumb. I, I just, it, it, it's sickening that we weren't able to overcome that rule. Would, would there be schools out there though, that wouldn't be able to afford another assistant coach, right? If there's a like mid-major or lower, like would there be schools out no there? Who, yeah. yeah. Okay. So there'd in a be, sense, it be, could be just a bigger advantage for the bigger schools. Kind of, but those guys already have that advantage, right? Okay. Like, first of all, like, let's say, um, I'm going to, I'm going to take a mid American conference school versus an sec school. Right. So, yeah. So if an sec school, first of all, the sec volunteer is already making very good money through camps and all those types of things. The head coach might be hiring them to do that. However, they're doing it. The sec volunteers are making good money. So, so the mid American coach, but, but I don't know, like if you're a mid American coach, don't you got to think, Hey, if it's good for the game, it's good for me. Right. Like if there's more paid jobs in my sport, then if something happens to me here, there's more opportunity for me to land on my feet. But here's the thing. No one is going to take, like we see this all the time, be a paid coach in the Mid-American Conference or go be the volunteer at Arkansas. A lot of those guys are already going to be the volunteer at Arkansas. And it's not like like Kent State, who my good friend, you know, Jeff Duncan, who's one of my favorite people in the world. And, um, you know, we coach at Arizona State. Like Kent State's not beating Arkansas for players, right? So I, I think you're right. Like that is the myth that, hey, the, the haves just kind of creep further away. They're already way down the road, right? Like yeah. mid-American schools, the second Arkansas calls a kid, even to be a recruited walk-on, the, the Mac schools are done. It's already over for them. And so, you know, I, I think, I don't know. I, I just think anything that doesn't help grow the game is is a mistake to not vote for. Yeah, and I, I, I totally I totally see what you're saying. I think I think I, I remember watching Arkansas uh, speaking of them play, I don't know if this is past season or what. It was a regional, I believe, there. And the environment was just I I mean, I couldn't believe the amount of people, I mean, just screaming left and right. And it just it was like a big league environment. Like it's like big leagues and then it's that level, and then it's probably minor league baseball. Like it's yeah. it's right next to the big leagues, honestly. Yeah, it's like big league playoffs too, though, because yeah. it's not like a big league regular season crowd where it's imposing and it's huge, but the people are there mostly for a social gathering. I mean, this is like big league playoffs where the people are like emotional and like, yeah, it almost feels like a football atmosphere. I'm telling you, in the SEC, you go to games at Arkansas, Mississippi State, Old Miss, LSU, you know, all those types of places. It is, it, it's insanity. I mean, yeah, it, it, I, I'll never forget watching, which, which, by the way, makes NC State going to Arkansas and beating them a super regional, one of the most insane accomplishments. But I remember watching Stanford go play at Mississippi State uh, in 2019 um, for a super regional. And it was the way I the way I try to explain to people, it'd be like it'd be like trying to go play a baseball game in a haunted house. I mean, it was 15,000 lunatics and the Mississippi State, State fan base, they love baseball. And, uh, man, they are into it. it. It was awesome. So cool. What's your fi- Where's your favorite place to go watch a college baseball game? That's a good question. I would say Omaha, right? I got okay. that. That's got to be. <laughs> I'm telling you, Patrick, I've told people this. Like, when you're a coach and you're a player, that's all you think about is getting to Omaha. And so that is so ingrained to in me. I think I've gotten to go six straight years. Again, I'm knocking on wood in some type of broadcasting capacity. And so like as a broadcaster, you almost don't even have to qualify for Omaha. I mean, I guess sort of you do, but I still, every time that I'm going, I'm looking at my plane ticket like, oh my gosh, is this real or is this not real? So that would be number one, but I don't know. Yeah, it's like, 
it's um, I think, I think it just depends on what you're in the mood for. Like, okay. I, I went to Oklahoma state this year. They had the Oklahoma state's new stadium. They spent $75 million on a stadium that six seats, 6,000 people. Think about that. I mean, it is so nice, Patrick, you wouldn't believe it. Like, the, the, the setup of the field reminds you of like Mississippi State and Ole Miss and Arkansas and those places. In the left field corner, they have one of these like just un, they have a building that looks like the building at Petco Park. They've got player development um, uh, areas that would remind you of Salt River, which to me is the that's the creme de la creme out here in Arizona for spring training. So, yeah. So like and then there's I've never been to Pepperdine, but, you know, you've seen the pictures where there's oh. the Pacific Ocean, right? And, yeah. you know, Wichita State's got a really cool place. I mean, there's no bad stadium in the SEC. Uh, I, You know what? They're, they're, it just depends on what you're in the mood for. If you're in for a big crowd or something more intimate. I love some of the West Coast places. I, You know, the two Arizona schools have good setups. University of San Diego does. Um, yeah, you can go on and on. It's just th- that's the cool part, right, is – there's there's been a lot of upgrades to college baseball stadiums over the last 20 years. Do you see any any changes or anything in the future in, in the college game? Man, I mean, I I think you, Patrick, it is going to be so interesting because I think you could potentially see massive changes because you know one of the the NCA is so wobbly right now, and one of the things you're starting to hear rumblings about is, hey, what would happen if we being the NCA gave sports more of an opportunity to regulate themselves. You know, that would make the volunteer coach go away overnight. You know, could we get more scholarships? I think, you know, I think NIL is going to be a real, it's going to be a game changer for college baseball, because as we're stuck here with 11.7 scholarships, I think what you're going to start to see coaches do is go to donors and say, Hey, Patrick Jones, big donor at university of Notre Dame, Hey, if you could commit a hundred thousand dollars to our program on an annual basis, or you know, maybe we're splitting it up amongst a bunch bunch of owners or a bunch of donors, then hey, I'm going to put that into upperclassmen who I can take off of scholarship. You know, I can talk to the families about this ahead of time. Like, hey, we're going to commit ten thousand dollars to you a year. The first year, it's just going to be a straight up athletic scholarship. The years after, it's going to be NIL money. Um, and if we can't make you whole, we'll make you whole with scholarship, that type of thing. Uh, so I think NIL is going to be a game changer for, you know, helping baseball families have a more substantial scholarship because the 11.7 is just absolutely, ins- it's ridiculous for how quality these players and these athletes are and how much time they put in to being a student athlete. So I think, I think NIL will be a big difference maker. Yeah. It's almost becoming the fact that if you don't come from, some money like you can't play the travel baseball and that you can't be recruited or at least it's it's definitely makes it more difficult so that would be huge i mean when do you think that would i mean that's is that still a few years away it's 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 live now so it's starting to happen but i do think it's going to take a few years for it to kick in because for for nil to really impact the game in that regard it's going to have to be part of the recruiting process you know like you're gonna have to be able to have conversations with families that say Hey, like, here's how we do it at Arizona State. You know, we put you on an athletic scholarship when you're a freshman and then your sophomore, junior year, we, you know, and and maybe some coaches will say, hey, Patrick, like, we're going to put you on $10,000 of athletic aid your freshman year and we'll put you on $11,000 of NIL your sophomore year and $12,000 of NIL, you know, so it's, it's, and, and, you know, the upperclassmen now have 
th- those families have gotten more comfortable with the program. So I, I, that's just one thing I think about. You know, I think another big change we're we're going to have to do something with our recruiting system. It's you know we we we're recruiting eighth graders and ninth graders now, and it, it's it's really hard on coaches. It's even harder on families, and and it's just um, we we need to softball has made pretty drastic changes to their rules. I wrote about this recently on the D1 site. And I, th- I that's my opinion. We need to adopt the softball rules because it just, we, we've just kind of, sometimes systems just kind of morph themselves. They just, we just kind of end up somewhere and that's what's happened in recruiting. It's nobody's fault individually. We've just ended up in this really bad place and we got to get ourselves out of it. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. Um, I was, you mentioned D1 baseball and Kendall Rogers. I've been following that guy since uh, I was playing college baseball at Xavier. I mean, the goat. I, can, does anyone do a better job at at just broadcasting college baseball in general? I mean, that guy is unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. So I, I do a podcast with him and Aaron Fit, and Kendall's cell phone is the single most important device in college baseball. <laughs> and so we we got to the point where we we asked our listeners to name his phone, and we got the recommendation Martha. So we now we now refer to Kendall's cell phone as Martha. But yes, Kendall is he is so dialed in. He it, it is remarkable, just absolutely remarkable. Well, he does a great job, Mike. You do a great job too. And, and I appreciate you coming on. I appreciate your passion for college baseball and, and just, you know, how much you, you've been able to give back to the game as a coach and now broadcaster and educating fans and, and people like myself about some of the, the, the rules and changes that are, are going to come to NCA. So I appreciate it, man. And keep up the good work. Yeah. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Patrick. This was fun.